Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M, Cindy W, Todd A, and Brent S. We've got a returning guest on the program today. Tony Retta is here with us. Tony is the president and CEO of Tectonic Metals, a Alaska-focused gold exploration company with a number of exploration projects, including core projects in the Good Pasture Mining District. Tectonic Metals is a portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. Tectonic is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol TECT and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol T-E-T-O-F. Tony, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. So Tony, how about those market conditions for gold exploration equities? Thoughts on current status and an outlook for us, say for maybe 2022? Okay, well, <laughs> there's, a, there's quite a bit there to cover. My thoughts on the gold exploration uh, sector right now is that uh, I think the industry as a whole is generally facing backlog in assays. And that lack of news flow has impacted uh, investors' attention or appetite to, to sort of you know, stay on board or, or just basically be active in the stock one way or another. No news usually is interpreted as, as not necessarily a good thing. But um, you know, I think that's what's created a bit of a malaise here in the market. There's some excitement behind it, then it and then it dwindles, then it comes back, and you know this has kind of been a pattern that's been repeating itself for for a few years now. Generally speaking, you know if you step back and don't get caught in the day to day or the monthly uh, ups and downs, you know gold has been up after year here over the last few years. So that's generally a pause. And I like to remind people that you know if you're you know the gold space is 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 look somewhat from a different perspective that it's you know yeah you can play it from a day to day thing, but it's really about a long term view. And your thought on you know gold's um, place in society here, whether it's uh, as as a form of currency or as a supply and demand thing, where the you know major uh, mining companies need need more more ounces to uh, replace the reserves that they're depleting daily. Certainly, large discovery, good discovery seems to work pretty well still in this market, where you have a crowd that'll gravitate towards that, and then even the mid tier and, and even the major cash flowers. The cash flowers mm -hmm. don't even get much respect right now, and they're mm -hmm. continuing to cash mm -hmm. flow, and they're still not getting respect. A lot of this is still tailored towards gold price or big company-specific news. Mm -hmm. but outside of that, it appears you know things are fairly stagnant here. But uh, you know, I do think that the longer it stays that way, the better the setup is as we move into the next leg. It's been a while since you've been on the program, Tony. So how about just a quick overview of Tectonic? Yeah, definitely. And you know, as we as you mentioned, you know, we're we're focused on Alaska. Uh, currently, the the assets predominantly have gold potential, and uh, you know, we do look at other commodities. But right now, the the current two assets that most of our time and energy on is actually is actually three assets, I should say, is is Tibbs, the Tibbs project in the Good Pasture Mining District, which is about thirty kilometers away from the producing Pogo mine. And then we have a project called 70 Mile, which is an underexplored greenstone belt, huge land position, you know, over 150,000 acres in size. And our latest acquisition 
is um, somewhat close to the Donalink Gold project, which is owned and operated by Nova Gold and Barrick. And that deposit currently sits at 45 million ounces. So this asset called Flat, which we acquired, it's in the same mineral belt as Donalink. It's again, a, a massive land position and been forgotten for the last 20 years. There hasn't been a whole lot of work, but 20 years ago when there was work, a lot of um, gold was discovered it's a bulk tonnage intrusion related style of deposit. And the zones that were drilled were there's some really good drill intercepts, you know, high grade material, 10, 12 gram, uh, some lower grade material as well, 0.8, 1.5. But as the name suggests, there's a bulk tonnage play here. And those zones are still open along strike and at depth. There's also probably over 20 targets that haven't even been drill tested. And these are our surface anomalies that we're pretty excited about. We also see a metallurgical opportunity there. So that's that's a new project that's been put into the stable that we're, we just announced probably about two months ago and we're still getting familiar with that asset, but we have a plan in place to how to unlock the value there. We've also launched a drill program this year, speaking to the delay in drill assays. You know, we're one of those companies that's facing a serious backlog. Over 80% of our assays have yet to be reported, received or reported, I should say. And that asset is exciting because A, it's near the Pogo mine, B, it is a lookalike, and C, we're following up on some pretty remarkable drill intercepts from previous years, six grams per 29, meters, for example, and then also some untested golden soil anomalies that were tested for the first time this year. And, you know, anytime you drill something for the first time, that's where you can really see some game-changing opportunities. You know, the drill bit is the truth machine. And so we're, we're waiting to find out the truth on these targets. And there's, like I said, um, over, you know, 85% of the assays haven't been received. And that's derived from probably about six additional targets. So we're, we're waiting patiently and eagerly for those drill assays to decide the next steps on that asset. And to fund all this exploration activity and the acquisition was uh, predicated on a financing that was uh, announced uh, late May and uh, closed in uh, the end of June. And that was uh, the lead investor there was a fund named Crestcat and the uh, geological or the technical advisor for that company is a well-known respected geologist by the name of Quentin Henning. So they were the lead order on that financing and we were able to pull in $7 million to fund all of this acquisition work. So that's kind of the, the latest, I think, since we last spoke in a very sort of succinct fashion here, Andrew. Tony, I appreciate that. I saw the Crestcat news. Um, I understand with recent activity there they are now a filer with just over 10 percent in their hand is that correct my understanding is just actually under 10 percent but they do file their uh, or state their positions you know as um as some funds some funds do not all funds depending how they um the requirements to disclose or their preference to disclose okay it's close enough you can certainly yep. catch the cedar filings and pick up on that so with regards to the current capital structure now, Tony, maybe you can update us. Uh, you know, there's been some folks come into the roster since we last spoke. Can you just yeah. speak the shares outstanding, the cast position here, and then also just uh, if there's any other major shareholders you can share on the roster? Okay, so the, yeah, the shares outstanding, currently 160 million. We just published our last uh, set of financials. And so we're sitting just over $3 million in cash right now, a big chunk of that capital went into the ground which is the intention from the get-go and 
you know, from my perspective, what you want to see a company do, you know, you want to see that money that was raised go into the ground, not necessarily funding, marketing, or, you know, other things, you know, money in the ground is extremely important. As far as shareholders are concerned, you know, again, bringing in Quentin Henning and Crescat on this latest financing, you know, speaks to the quality of the shareholder that Tectonic has been able to attract. Um, these are, you know, Quentin is, like I said, a very respected geologist, explorationist, mine finder, if you will. And, you know, in addition or alongside of him, the other shareholders that I can speak to, you know, RCF Resource Capital Funds, one of the largest resource funds in, in the world. They've stepped up and cut a few investments. We also have our native corporation in Alaska and our partner on several projects here step up to be the single largest shareholder of Tectonic. And that group is called Doyon Limited. Then um, <clears throat> they, they own roughly about 15% of the company. And, you know, in addition to, to them, the last financing, nearly the entire executive team of Tectonic uh, stepped up and participated in the, that financing, myself included. And on a partially diluted basis, we own about 17, we being the Tectonic team, we own about 17% of the company as well. Going back to funds, you know, Crestcat, RCF, another well-respected fund. It's called uh, McKenzie Investments, and they were the lead order on the financing, not this past year, but the year before that. We also have other other funds on the roster. Some are not necessarily publicly disclosed, but there are a couple, such as Gold 2000, again, uh, a fund in Europe, but backed or supported or advised by a very well-known, respected geologist. And so, you know, rounding out the, the institutional holdings of the company, I think we're sitting at just over 30%. And these are very respected funds. So, you know, you're talking about share price or, you know, if a lot of people look at share price performance, you know, I think, you know, one thing I, you know, I'd, I'd like to give comfort to my shareholders is that, you know, these are respected uh, geologists backing our company. So obviously they see something in the projects and the team that should bring confidence to our, to our shareholders and potential investors. So if they see something, you know, what am I, what do I need to look at here? Well, I appreciate you sharing some more color on the roster. Doyen's a, a really important one for me and amongst some of those mm -hmm. others. Crestcat, I don't know them that well, Tony, but uh, certainly Quentin has a name out there and he he's on a lot of boards, I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it's good to see that some of those good groups are in there and the way that the structure is of the mm -hmm. shares, that if there's some success here, that uh, mm -hmm. you know things can move quite quickly. Talk about just the cash for a second and also how that ties in with 2022 in terms of financing, Tony. Do you think that you have enough capital to get to some expiration success without the need to raise capital until higher prices? How does that cash get you through 2022? Yeah, so the, the cash, we, we elected to be aggressive this year and spend a big chunk of what we raised. Uh, we've liked what we saw and, and to that point, we actually made a new surface discoveries this year that we felt we did not want to wait till next year to drill. Um, one of that was uh, the latest news release was 109, 190 gram per ton rock sample that came from a target called West Trench. Um, as the name um, implies, it, this is not an actual trench uh, discovery. This was actually uh, a, a rock uh, anomaly that came from uh, a, you know a, a pit, if you will, and that uh, is tied up with tied tied together with a soil anomaly. There's some drilling um, at East Trench, 
which is about a kilometer away. And we think this is all sitting on, on one structure here. We also did a geophysical survey and that highlighted some geophysical anomalies that we wanted to go after. So we had a lot of boxes tick. So we decided to drill that this year. Then we had a rock anomaly down in the south, um, which, you know, we had uh, 11 samples over 25 grams per ton, um, a 500 meter wide anomaly that's still open and never drilled before. So we elected to drill that this year as well. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is, you know, we, we, we don't want to wait. And with that comes a sort of a, a lower bank account, if you will. So for 2022, you know, do we have enough capital to, to enter into the year? Yes. As far as how aggressive we're going to be on the exploration front, I don't, I can't say definitively because we're still waiting for 85% of our assays. So how I look at financings is that typically I'd like to secure a lead order. So it's not a matter about, you know, when we have to we have to finance by this time. It's about building relationships with quality funds that are, are aligned with management's vision and strategy. And if that presents itself today, then we'll look at financing. If that presents itself in three months, we'll we'll look at financing in three months. Um, to be aggressive and maintain the, the pace of exploration that we've been doing over the last, you know, uh, four years here, which is generally the realm of, you know, three to five million dollars going into the ground. We, you know, it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out, yeah, we're, we're going to have to finance at some point. We do have some warrants outstanding as well that could, you know, if these results come back favorably and the market responds favorably, it could um, create a, a, a ripple effect and allow some of these warrants to, to trickle down into cash into the treasury. So hopefully that provides a bit of color on our cash position and where we're going for 2022. For better or for worse, we're, we're heavily dependent on the drill results here on what's happening next. That certainly mm -hmm. helps. And hopefully that can be coupled with some results that um, maybe get the share price up a bit there. And with the financing, uh, let us know maybe when that does occur. You know, I know there's lots of vehicles, whether it's the uh, non-brokered route with a couple groups, but then also maybe allow at the same time the existing shareholders to come in under the existing shareholder exemption clause as well and let some of the existing shareholders come in as part of that to uh, participate there as well if they can't come under the, uh, the placement itself. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to quickly say that, and that that's a great point, Andrew, is that, you know, um, our last financing, which, um, you know, again, the lead order was Crestcat, and I do encourage you, you and your listeners to check, take a look at their, their website, because they actually disclose their, their holdings and fund performance, and I got to tell you, I am so impressed with this fund. We're talking about, like, generally speaking, over 100% return here. They're one of the, the better performing funds. Now, that financing, when we announced it last year, it was just under, um, it was roughly $3 million. But I wanted to give our existing shareholders the opportunity to, to average down. So if you were an existing shareholder, you got, you, you got access to that financing. So we did our best to reach out to as many shareholders that we have contact information for. Um, if we don't have your contact information, which is very common because you can't, you know, some some shareholders don't don't put that forward. We can't reach out to you, but um, some did reach out to us nonetheless, and you got access to the financing. To that point, we ended up being almost three times oversubscribed because we wanted, you know, Doyon came in again, and other funds came in again, and then individual shareholders that you know the last financing was at 20 cents this one was at a 10 cent unit so obviously at a, at a, at a very much a, a discount there i wanted to make sure that you know your shareholders 
they invest their hard-earned money, especially when they're underwater, you want to give them a chance to participate. So, you know, if there's any interest from anyone here to participate in the next financing, then please reach out and, you know, get on our mailing list or drop a note. That way you do get a call because I, I would love to incentivize our existing shareholders first and foremost before anyone else. We encourage the audience to certainly get on that list, uh, you know, make contact, make sure that the company has the contact information and not only just the, you know, the accredited folks, but also, mm-hmm. again, under under the Canadian securities setup, you do have the ability to, as an existing shareholder, if you own shares, to participate, even if you're not accredited. That's another venue that works that a lot of people often tend to miss. And so that's another good way to potentially include not just accredited roster, but also just your standard roster as well. For 2022, talk about the plans at flat. And then also, you know, where that fits in with TIBS, obviously TIBS is a good priority. I mean, there's lots of priorities, but maybe just go through the the priority list here and how flat falls in and what you saw initially with your guys' due diligence on flat. What we loved about flat is that, you know, you have this 45 million ounce gold deposit called Donalyn that is sitting in a mineral belt and no one's other than Barrick and Novogold, no one's really talking about the mineral belt. And it's shocking. Like, you know, I, I still am baffled. You know, this ain't what, like, I'll just repeat that. There's not a 5 million ounce deposit. There's 45 million ounces of gold there and, and no one is exploring the belt. And this is something, you know, being the first mover into, into a, well, we're not, we're not that first mover, but first mover in quite some time into a mineral belt, you know, best place to find a mine is next to an existing mine. It's an old adage there that people commonly say. So this asset, uh, Dolan, is not a mine yet, but it's in the permitting phase. And, you know, given where gold price is at, and, you know, it, it, it appears that it's on track to becoming a mine. That was first and foremost. And with this project moving forward, there is um, potential to improve the infrastructure in this area. So that was one of a few of the boxes that were ticked that got us intrigued. Secondly, um, we love the fact, you know, we love scale. In my opinion, it takes just as much time and energy to find a 500,000 ounce deposit as it does a 5 million ounce deposit. So play big. And with scale comes the ability to mitigate some of the hurdles that projects may face. And sometimes that's infrastructure, energy, metallurgy, you know, scale sometimes can solve a lot of these issues. Um, next, we also we had a project that was dormant for 20 years that had uh, has a lot of ex- exploration potential, and, and the zones that were drilled um, were still left open along Strike and at depth. And the last activity was 1997, if you recall. That's when Briex happened, and that caused the debacle or the collapse of the Vancouver Stock Exchange, and the um, a lot of junior mining companies went went broke. It just was not a pretty scene. Gold plummeted as well. And a lot of projects got put on a shelf. So this was one of those projects that was put on a shelf for quite some time. So we're, we now have new knowledge or better knowledge of, of the geological deposits, styles. There's also new techniques that you can apply. And this project, we looked at, yes, the zones are open for mineralization. Yes, there's these gold, gold compelling golden soil anomalies and rock anomalies and trenches that have never been drilled before. That's an opportunity for discovery, but we are also intrigued by five metallurgical samples. Now, when this project had 11,000 meters of drilling completed on it, and there was only five metallurgical samples on it. So we looked at those samples and they all were anywhere from 65 to 85% 
recovery rates. They never really looked at the oxide potential, the free milling potential, the heap leach potential. And, you know, those three types of metallurgical processing is sometimes can have lower in energy costs and provide sometimes make, make an ounce of gold more high margin. So we wanted to explore that further. This is, you know, although it's in the same mineral belt as Donlin, at first blush, flat does not appear to be refractory. Now, that's a that's some might say that's a bold statement. I have five samples to support that it's not, but I don't have a comprehensive metallurgical test work database to build upon. So what you could do as a junior, and this kind of speaks to our business model, you know, we're not here to to you know get our share price from 10 cents to 50 cents. We're here to find a mine. And if you want to start with a if you want to find a mine, well, why not reverse engineer that process? And metallurgy is one of the key attributes that kill a project from an economic perspective or a project moving forward. And a lot of junior mining companies don't tackle metallurgy till later down the road. They kick the can further down. And I would demand that investors ask companies to do that because it is, it's not that costly and it's extremely informative and it can make or break a project right from the get-go. So we're actually going to start doing metallurgy on this project in 2022 because that's going to inform the next steps from, you know, do we target shallow mineralization? Do we target deeper mineralization? Do we target oxide, transit, transitional? If it comes back refractory, some of these, the MET sampling, then it changes the whole scope of the project. Perhaps our interest level in the project might dwindle a bit as well. So, you know, for a fairly uh, nominal amount, it's going to provide a huge ROI. Now, will the market be like, oh my God, this, you know, this, they got some great metallurgical test results and the share price goes, you know, goes up 50%. Well, the, that's the difference between, you know, real investors will understand the significance of that work. The average person might just yawn at it. But from our perspective, you know, we're not interested in catering to the market per se. We want to know if this project has the merit to actually be, become a mine. You know, with 11,000 meters of drilling, there there is a potential, there's resource potential there as well. Um, we've done some back of the envelope calculations and we're, again, excited about what we see there. But we want to take this, be methodical. And with every project that we acquire, we have this three-year plan with tangible deliverables. And so this year one for flat is really centered around metallurgy. And if that comes that back favorable, which we we have, you know, we obviously um, are feeling positive that it will. The next step would be to you go, you know, go in there and start drilling. We are also open to partnerships on all our projects, and that's not just something that we initiate post discovery. Those relationships and those discussions start right at the acquisition stage, and you know, we continue to explore potential. Um, mutually beneficial partnerships on all on all our assets. So flat could be one of those projects that sort of uh, ends up becoming a, a partnership, and um, we're open to having those discussions as well on that. Do you think that uh, that those results will come out in 2022, and the drill bit on this project may not go until 23, or do you think that it fits into 2022? Well, if the I guess the, the metallurgy, yes, 2022. And that's gonna inform us on drilling. And in the meantime, we'll be having conversations with potential partners on this asset um, as we do with our other projects and trying to figure out, okay, what's the next best step to unlock the potential here. Right now, if, if someone said, here's $10 million to go drill flat, I would actually not hesitate on where to put the drill. We know exactly already, we've done a fair amount of due diligence on the targets that we know where we wanna drill, but 
is that if that $10 million and you're targeting mineralization down deep and you're getting into sulfide mineralization or say transitional and that's not metallurgically favorable, then you just kind of, yeah, you found gold, but you know the ability to get the gold out of the rock is not there and hence that's not really a mineable ounce. So finding ounces is important, but finding mineable ounces is the holy grail. And that's the distinction that a lot of companies fail to make and a lot of investors fail to make. So I wanna know as, as much information um, about every drill hole that I put into ground and the rock that comes out and what the probability of that ounce I find becoming a mineable ounce, what that is. And so that's why we're hesitating on going full hog on this project until we understand the metallurgy. Yep, good points again. And a lot of this stuff does stay on the ground at the end of the day. Confirm for the audience, the flat project is entirely on native court property, Doyen lands, correct? The majority of it is on native owned land. And the rest is on state? It's, yeah, it's a bit of, uh, it's a mixed bag, some state, some fed, and some private, but the majority is on native owned land. Always good to confirm that, especially in mm -hmm. this area. Plus, uh, we'll see what Donlin continues to do. And of course, uh, another elephant in the area is Pebble. Obviously, different land situations, as everybody can imagine. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, switch over here. How about back to Tibbs for a moment? Uh, just yep. give us an update on work there and results flow. What do you think? Do you think you'll see this over the next few months? Uh, what do you see coming out with those assays? You know, no word of a lie. I just emailed one of our geologists and just told him, what did the labs say? Because we're pressuring the labs to get our assay results, um, you know, pushed further up in the queue. And so, you know, when can I expect? I would love to say we're going to we're going to get assay results this month more. Um, but you know, the, the it's been a bit of a disappointment that it, it is an unprecedented sort of backlog that I've you know my 20 year career I've never experienced anything like this. And you know, if it's not December, you know, they will come out. It might be January. So. The, you know, and unfortunately, that's all I can communicate right now on sort of assay results. But you know, we did announce uh, uh, the first set of holes from Gray Lead, a, a zone at Tibbs called Gray Lead, and another zone at Tibbs called Michigan. And the results were 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 great. We had um, some really high grade gold, like 40 grams per ton over a meter. Um, there was 33 grams over a meter and a half, uh, six grams over nine, 12 and a half grams per ton gold over five meters, five and a half meters. So we're, we were pleased with the, with the results there. And like, a, you know, Tibbs is still at the forefront of our mind. It got pretty much all of the cap, all, you know, all the capital that went into the ground went mostly into Tibbs. And there's a reason for that. Like those anomalies I spoke to earlier were remarkable surface anomalies, extremely compelling. And I would argue some of the best anomalies to come out of the Good Pastor Mining District. And when I say anomaly, that's just not like a geophysical anomaly. Yes, these targets had that, but they also had coinciding golden soil anomalies that share the exact same geochemistry as the mineralization observed at Pogo. They're also situated in the same host rocks as Pogo, and that's the Nysic rocks. And they all are also situated on map low angle thrust faults, which um, is extremely important to sort of the, the Pogo model. So these these had a very, um, a lot of boxes were ticked as far as becoming a compelling anomaly. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how those results uh, come back now. That sounds good. And of course, off of that, you guys will probably adjust the plans for next year a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think we have a pretty good view of what the plans are going to be uh, for 2022 here and what areas you guys are going to focus in on. I want to give you a moment, Tony, to talk about mm -hmm. ESG work at the company. Mm -hmm. uh, any specific items there you'd like to mention? 
Oh, well, you know, it's, you know, ESG is, it's a, it's a day-to-day -day thing. We, we, we literally live and breathe it. Um, we were doing ESG before it was called ESG. Um, you know, our chair on, on that front, you know, we just recently appointed a, a new chair, uh, a woman by the name of Alison Rippen Armstrong. And I'd love to say a few words about Alison because, you know, I initially met her in 2005. Um, she came and did some some work um, at the very, very early days, nearly inception at Camac Gold Corporation. And she is a environmental biologist by trade. So it's very odd for a junior mining company to have a, a chair as a as an environmental biologist. Um, it's even more just as rare to have uh, a chair that's a woman. And you know she's uh, you know sustain a leader in sustainability and ESG, and she's been involved in the permitting of nine mines in Canada. And she's you know when I say involved, that means representing First Nations. So being on the other side of the fence, um, working for the federal government, the state. Or, or sorry, the provincial governments or territorial government, and then also working for junior mining companies like Kamenek and Tectonic. So there's going to be an even stronger emphasis on ESG going forward, you know, given Allison's background. You know, we work directly on native owned land, and that's that's intentional. Um, we believe it's a much more efficient process to advance a project and forming partnerships on projects at the beginning you know, as part of the acquisition phase is the right way to do business. And to that point, those project purchase agreements or lease agreements are full-scale production agreements on, on these uh, earlier stage projects. They also incorporate elements of ESG, scholarship provisions, um, hiring provisions, mandating uh, engagement with, with local communities. So this is something we we do with every project right from the get-go. And then as we spoke earlier, we've we've invited our our uh, native corporation to actually be a shareholder of our company. Um, they said yes, and they made a strategic investment in our company um, a couple years ago. They've then made an additional investment in our company, sort of uh, main, trying to maintain their initial ownership level, which is around 15% in our company. So we're actually backed by indigenous or native um, shareholders of uh, or citizens of Alaska. And every project, whether it's flat or TIBS or 70 mile, we engage early. So part of the flat acquisition process was to go meet with the local communities and, and you know, A, introduce ourselves and B, hear what they have to say, you know, on, on mining, on exploration, on working with Tectonic, on working with the Native Corporation as well. You know, what are their thoughts and how can we collaborate together? So we're, we're continually trying to uh, better ourselves, you know, you're, you never reach perfection. And that's the whole point. You want to keep improving and we don't have all the answers. You know, we're, 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 we're learning as we go. I think it's extremely important for, for companies, especially in the mining or exploration space to take ownership of that and not let the geology trump everything, you know, and that's, that's unfortunately how it's been for a lot of companies in the past or investors too, is like, you know, just tell me about the rocks or the geological opportunity and, Let's let's not place as much emphasis, or let's ignore the environment, the local, in, in, you know, indigenous communities, whatever the case may be. And ultimately, if you start with the end in mind, and that's to find a mine, which is what we're doing, then why wouldn't you start with all those things right at the get-go? And um, that's been our approach. We've done a lot of heavy lifting, so hopefully, it will lead to a much more successful endeavor for all parties involved. 
one more question on them before we mm -hmm. wrap up, and it's not necessarily on exploration, but to just get your opinion on this. Uh, Alaska's disconnected from the lower 48. There's no doubt mm -hmm. about that. Well, what do you think when it comes to the days of potentially permitting mining projects in Alaska? Do you believe that the native corps, of course, the landowners included their native corps specifically, need to make decisions and also that the state make decisions and that the Fed really stays out of it? Well, <laughs> there's, again, a, a lot there to, to answer. I think, you know, Alaska has proven to our industry that they, they are pro-mining, pro-business. Now, just because, you know, Alaska as a, as a whole doesn't mean, you know, you can build a mine in every inch of that state. And there are areas that are protected. So, again, it, that's where it comes to doing your homework at the get-go and uh, before proceeding and then you find something and you're going in, about to go into permitting and you realize that you're you know you're part of a provincial park or there's salmon bearing streams and you haven't done all your your environment mitigation or you know your social work to, you know in and around um, the project so alaska has seven producing mines you know which is more than a lot of the canadian northern jurisdictions and the you know to get in the permitting process it's a very um uh, transparent process you know you just have it's, you know it's it's also I would look at the company so garbage in equals garbage out is something I say a lot of people say it's the same so you know you have to make sure that we're looking at both sides of, of the fence here and you know before we do any sort of finger pointing the fact that we're on native owned land and they are you know providing that the native corporation is pro-business pro-mining they, unlike other jurisdictions, they own the resources or the minerals on their property. Um, they have the rights to that. And this is um, Alaska, uh, actually this year is the 50th year of the uh, ANSA um, uh, when it was created and structured. So it's very clear, transparent, legally binding land tenure, you, you know, where this is this is my land, this is my rights. They selected their lands and a lot of them selected based on mineral prospectivity. So um, if you look at the Red Dog Mine with Nana, that's that's a great example of native corporations and industry working together for the benefit of, of everyone. And, you know, don't quote me specifically on this number, but that, that royalty at Nana, sorry, the, on the Red Dog Mine that went to, to Nana, um, it was about 385 million. Now it didn't just go to Nana. There's this thing called when ANSA was formed, um, they actually have to share their their profits with the other native corporations. So Nana, for example, and that's a native corporation in Alaska, they only retain about 30% of that 385 million. The rest gets gets distributed to all the other native corporations and the shareholders of those native corporations. So it's, it's one of the most remarkable, not probably the best organized and best formed or structured native corporation land distribution, probably all of the world. So you know, I don't think our industry's fully realized just the power of that, that structure there. And uh, Alaska, as far as you know, limiting the Fed involvement, the state involvement, I mean, government's government. Um, I don't know anyone that's really says, oh, this government's the best or this government's like less red tape. It's all it's all a version thereof. And, you know, my dealings with Alaska has been extremely positive at the state level and the federal level. And, you know, will that change, you know, when we get a project that's going into permitting? Possibly. But again, I would look at, you know, garbage in versus garbage out. Did you do all your homework? Are there any environmental concerns? What do we need to look at? And Alaska is is, I think, you know, one of the best jurisdictions in the entire world when you're trying to find you know tier one deposits deposits with scale and grade 
um, there's no better place to look. And being in your backyard is is something that at least welcomed by by me and hopefully by others. You know, you know, being able to speak the same language and knowing where the goalposts are uh, makes it extremely attractive. And when when it's blessed with so many natural resources, gold and minerals uh, included, it's a great place to explore and produce and get production. So I think Alaska is going to keep growing and you can see the expenditures year after year it is making a bit of a resurgence and it is on an upward trend and evidenced by i think in 2017 and 18 we had seven uh, relatively new mining companies move into the state of alaska so it's definitely i think caught their attention and that will continue to grow yeah, this is a strategic jurisdiction to the United States, strategic mm -hmm. land package, as uh, some very smart people realized a long time ago with the Louisiana Purchase and a number of other items that uh, the United States did in a very intelligent way back then. Certainly the state and the native folks, native corpse and the landowners, I think, have the right to their own self-determination. The opinions of the lower 48 don't necessarily count in Alaska, and you can see things like Arizona really, you know, get shut down for copper, with mm -hmm. the exception of existing licenses, of course, existing California legacy projects, et cetera. But in general, mm -hmm. the lower 48 is pretty much mm -hmm. shut off. And then you have oil and gas, right? In Alaska, mm -hmm. certainly oil. You have to look at Alaska as a developing standalone state, a, a developing nation, really. How does the state of Alaska transitioned a little bit with oil, certainly bullish oil prices, but we know oil is going to be a lesser impact going forward in the decades ahead. Where that transition happens and can Alaska survive on agricultural opportunities, um, fishing, tourist activities, or does it need mining? Because if oil and gas is on its way out in the decades ahead, it's critical that this state have a mining industry that's very robust mm -hmm. to support mm -hmm. all of the other initiatives and inclusive of environmental preservation and natural resource preservation. Totally agree. And I would say, you know, there there's difference of opinions as there is in, in any jurisdiction. Um, there are some of the native corporations that we deal with, you know, they've recognized the importance to shift their focus from oil and gas to the minerals sector, you know, precious and base metals. And the, the greatest inspiration is the Red Owl Mine. That royalty that gets uh, spat out there, $385 million, that's over seven or eight years now. That's a significant amount of cash flow. And that, that's just from the royalty. We're not talking about the jobs and the, the money that, um, and the opportunity that's created in and around the mine and, and all through Alaska. So they, they see that and then they see the life cycle of a project. You know, To go from discovery to production, average time-wise is 20 years. They have to get back on finding, making new discoveries and advancing projects. And, you know, if we, you know, oil and gas, you know, yeah, the prices come up a bit, but if they're back in the, sort of the, the toilet where they were, you know, a year or so or two years back, then they, they, you know, they can't rely on one specific commodity. And COVID also had an impact on the tourism in Alaska. And they were you know, quick to sort of recognize that and they shifted things around. They actually had a vaccination booth at the airport for citizens and anyone else. They were one of the first ones to do that. But now, you know, they're also facing now increased numbers. And so, but the, the, the bottom line is they, you need income, you know, your GDP needs to be generated from multiple sources, not just heavily on one. And uh, Alaska's ticking the boxes on a lot of fronts. And so I think the resource sector, 
uh, at least the conversations that I is important to to Alaska. It just needs to be managed and executed properly, and that can be said with with a lot of jurisdictions, you know, anywhere throughout the world. It's a sector that's needle moving for this state, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. you know tourism's always going to be probably limited. Financial services and banking probably not going to happen. You have all these different setups, right, Tony? And natural resources mm-hmm. for Alaska is its key strength, whereas mm-hmm maybe some island jurisdictions in the world, their key strengths are we can't have a mine, there's not enough square kilometers on our island, so therefore we're gonna focus on tourism, financial services, banking, et cetera, because that's all they have and they're very limited, not to mention a hurricane slaps them in the face about every other year or every year. It's, it's a much different situation here and I think that continue to be an important key piece if we're gonna build you know, modern Alaska, if you will. Just before we wrap up here, share price performance, uh, the mm-hmm. company, you know, since IPO, right at about two years, actually, Tony, here, generally been downward. Yeah. What do you think your plan is to change that trend in 2022? And do you think awareness, in addition to field success, but what do you think changes that? Is it awareness? Is it field success? What do you think? It's frustrating. You know, I've seen your, your share price decline. Um, I'm the single largest shareholder in our company. And you know, um, so I, I'm, you know, we're, like I said, the Tectonic team owns about 17% of the, of the stock right now. So we're, we're all aligned at the, at the same point. And currently we're trading at where sort of the founders, <laughs> the early rounds when we we're private, you know, where, um, where we invested into the, in the company, we've also invested in at 25 cents, 35 cents so at much higher prices. So all my entire net worth is tied up in this stock. And, um, and this company, and uh, that's that's intentional. I choose that. So, uh, seeing your share price go down um, is is not is not a, is not a fun experience. It's not. It's frustrating. I also um, what I tell myself is that you know focus on what things you can control. You know this is this is you know I've been investing in public companies since the age of 21. I'm 46 years old right now, and I've been through five like market crashes. Brex being the first one and the most one of the most detrimental sort of crashes I've experienced. But you know, through that, uh, I've learned that I can only can control what I can control. And being a public company, when you decide to go public, you have to face public market volatility. And sometimes that comes from your own your own hands. And sometimes it comes from external forces, like you know maybe there's a shift, gold price collapses. You know I can't control the gold price, so. Where, you know, so let's focus on things that we can control and what, how can we create value? So we can control our actions. So that's like, you know, for me, doing things um, in an ESG fashion is extremely important. Acquiring quality projects, making sure the money goes into the ground, that we, we have the utmost confidence in our targets. We also um, make sure that we execute our, our drill programs, exploration programs on in a timely manner, on budgets, that we meet the sort of uh, the budgetary requirements, we don't overspend. These are things that I, I can control. We market, we bring in quality shareholders. You know, these, this is, again, things that we can influence as much as possible. And hopefully that gets reflected in, in the share price. You know, why are we down? I don't honestly know. I think if you, we actually do a comparison Actually, well, I kind of I do know I have some thoughts and insights, but we do a comparison every month to our peer group. So we've established a peer group that we measure ourselves against. We also measure our performance against the TSX Venture, and then we've selected a index to measure ourselves against, and then also um, against the gold price. And so this this type of data 
you know, it's not necessarily out there for the, the entire public, but, you know, any investor can do that and say, okay, how, how we can, how we, how is Tectonic um, performing compared to the TSS event? And, you know, going by last month, generally speaking, we've actually done, um, we're trading in line with our, and slightly better than some of our peers, which is not necessarily the case when you look just at the share price right now, for example, we haven't, I haven't done it for the month of November here yet. We do that, we do this at the first of every other month. So it was November 1st captured October and December 1st will capture November. Um, and then we take a, um, a step back and look at it from a year perspective. And, you know, again, you can, you can extrapolate as much information as possible, but you know, the general malaise, the lack of drill assays um, across the board in the industry, tax loss selling, and the fact that the seasons come to an end here, and a lot of companies, us included, won't be getting back to the season to the new year. This has not necessarily amounted to a lot more selling, but just a, a lot less buying. And which in turn, if you have the, you know, a seller selling say 100,000 shares, for example, when the buying dries up or the bids kind of go small, then it impacts and starts decoupling the share price and going further down. So. Being cognizant of that and, and doing as much sort of D and D due diligence on it as possible is important. That's what we do. How we're going to create value, monetizing our assets, continuing to look for ways to create value, um, you know, doing desktop work, beefing up the potential of these targets. And when I say monetizing assets, that's looking through for partnerships and strategic alliance or business opportunities, looking at new project acquisitions, again, focusing on things we, we can control. And although we don't have drill assays, we, we can assess the merits of our targets and further understand you know, what's happening there so we're better equipped to make the next move on that target. So those are some of the things that, you know, that we're doing and hopefully at some point that will get uh, appreciated by the market. You know, it's a, it's a continuous endeavor to continue to inform and market, uh, educate as well, the investment community on what you're up to. And again, you know, that hopefully will have a positive impact on, on the share price here. Tony, I appreciate that. For potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, the market cap of Tectonic stands at about 12 million Canadian here. What would you mm -hmm. say to them about considering the company at the current stage and price level? Great question. So $12 million market cap is probably you know, one of the lowest market caps we've had. The fundamentals behind the company have only gotten stronger year after year. I would honestly venture to say that if you took our project called Flat and put it into a shell with a management team, it would actually probably get a market cap equivalent or higher than where we're currently trading at. And the same could be said for Tibbs, the project that we drilled. So you have an extremely low valuation predicated on some pretty um, compelling district scale projects. We have 85% of our assays still, out, still outstanding. So a lot more drill results going into the year. And you, you have a team that I would say is, um, you know, top quartile in our industry. That's what we target to be. Um, like I said, we're we're, never, we're not going to be the, the the best, or nor do we claim to to be the best, but we're going to strive to be the best. And when it comes to a management team, I would put our team against uh, up against any anyone else in the space. And we have, you know, our speaking of our team, you know, we have diversity on our team. Um, our, in, you know, we we have um, Allison as chair. We did have a former Hall of Famer uh, Indigenous uh, person uh, on our on our board as well who sadly passed away recently 
and we have a team that's found mines. You know, we've raised, uh, you know, myself personally over $165 million, but as a whole, our team has probably raised over half a billion dollars. We've, we found deposits. So we've, we've done it all. And, you know, you're getting all of this for, you know, a $12 million market cap. And just because we're, we're at this share price um, does not mean, you know, this is where we're, we intend to, to stay. If you look at sort of the, the annual charts of any Explorco, they typically dip in the winter months. And then the first quarter, they come back at usually anywhere from, you know, 25 to 100% uh, increase just based on just that quarter of the market. And that's even applied to the TSX as a whole. If you look as, at the TSX or the TSX Venture Index, they typically have stronger Q1s and Q2s than Q4s. And, you know, so a lot of it's just outside of our control. But uh, for people looking at Tectonic, you know, know that you have a team that's all in on this project, oh, sorry, on the company. And we have projects that um, demand, um, I think, a higher market cap. And we have assays uh, outstanding from some pretty remarkable surface discoveries and other anomalies that were, you know, hopefully can transform the company into a better market cap position. And the best way, Tony, for investors to reach out to the company? We have a, a obviously a, a sign up on our website at tectonicmetals.com. Our email address is info at uh, tectonicmetals.com. Sign up, reach out. We'd love to hear and interact with our shareholders. We are also on LinkedIn. We have a Tectonic Metals page, uh, Facebook and Instagram, again, Tectonic Metals Inc. And uh, we post uh, a whole slew of stuff, not just com the company material, but we also have a blog that we do, um, industry news. So I think it's a great avenue to sort of stay connected with Tectonic, but also with the, with the space. So please reach out on all those fronts. And thank you again, Andrew, for the opportunity to speak to your listeners today. Tony, absolutely. We appreciate the time and uh, looking forward to watching progress next year. I do too. Take care.